Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our author events at www.skylightbooks.com. At our website, you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. And don't be afraid to follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Um, but tonight, you are here for Justin Halpern and his hilarious book, Shit My Dad Says. Um, Justin Halpern is the founding editor of the comedy website HolyTaco.com and a senior writer at Maxim.com. His Twitter page, Shit My Dad Says, has more than one million followers and looks like some of you are here tonight. Um, he's also co-writing and co-producing a sitcom adaptation for CBS. CBS. Um, <laughs> After the reading, we'll have a little Q&A, and then we'll sign some books. Um, if you like the event tonight, uh, you can help us out by buying a book, which is always fun. If you haven't visited next door, we have very pretty picture books and comic books and stuff. It's a little annex right next door. So take a look. Um, but again, thank you very much for coming. And here is Justin Halpern. Let's see if I can get this. Thank you for coming. I don't even know if I need this, but... <laughs> All right. Well, it just, it oh, okay. So that's fine. All right. All right. Well, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for coming out. Um, I've exhausted most of my calling on friends and family to come. That although there are a couple friends here. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming out. Uh, this bookstore in particular. Now that I've had to move back up to Los Angeles, uh, I live pretty close to here, and I really like this bookstore. And I normally, I, with uh, when you get things from the the publisher they want you to go do this they want you to go do that and kind of a nervous guy not so <laughs> haven't mastered the uh, in front of the microphone thing yet so normally I'm like trying to avoid as much as I can but this I really wanted to do it at this bookstore because I I come here all the time and it's a really great store and she's right next door is really cool so uh, I'll do uh, read a couple chapter or a chapter from here and then uh, yeah if you guys have any questions or anything like that uh, just let me know. Let me try to adjust this just a little bit. There we go. I was telling these guys, and they, two people have been to another book signing, it's like when you write a memoir, you're, <laughs> you're writing it like in your bedroom or in a coffee shop or in a library, and there's nobody around you, and so you have this distance from whatever you're writing. And then when you look through it, at least for me, it's like every chapter has me masturbating. In the, ch in the chapter. <laughs> and then you have to do a book reading. <laughs> and then you're like flipping through. And last time when I was, I did one in Pasadena, I was sure I picked a chapter where I did not do that. And I did. So, uh, this chapter has a mention of it, but it's a good chat. It's one of them that I liked. Uh, so, yeah, it's a little background. Uh, uh, on this before I read is, is uh, I was, uh, I went to San Diego State University. Uh, I use, I think they use the university pretty liberally there. Um, but, but uh, it took me a little while to graduate. I played baseball there for a few years and then it sort of slowed down everything else and it's such a slow process at that school anyway. It sort of took me a while to graduate and I found myself taking a lot of summer courses of like music appreciation and <laughs> things like that so I could graduate. So this is one such course. 
So the title of this chapter is, uh, You Never Stop Worrying About Your Children. And the quote is, They'll gut you like a pig, piss on your corpse, and then say, Welcome to Mexico. By my junior year of college, I had moved out of my parents' house and into a three-bedroom house in Pacific Beach, San Diego, which I shared with my best friend Dan and a girl we were friends with. Even though my new place was only 10 minutes away from my parents, it might as well have been in Sweden for all my dad cared. There was no way he was going to visit. I don't, know, I don't, I don't want to know what goes on in that house, he said I finally, when I finally asked him if he wanted to come check it out. Dad, there's nothing bad going on in the house. No, you're not understanding me. I don't care what goes on in the house. It's called apathy. Look it up. I was living on my own, but I still headed home once a week to do my laundry, raid the fridge, and take advantage of anything else I could possibly, I possibly could while I was there. You just barge in and take whatever you want, whenever you want it. It's like you're in the goddamn SS and I'm living in fucking Nazi Germany, my dad said after coming in from the backyard where he was watering his roses one afternoon to find me in the kitchen eating the bagel with cream cheese he had prepared for himself just moments earlier. Even though he wouldn't admit it, I always knew my dad was happy to see me when I came home. I'd usually head over at night when he was home from work and we'd have a nice chat about things that were going on in each other's lives. It was the first time I'd ever felt like I had an adult relationship with my dad. We were growing closer and becoming friends. I realized that we'd really broken down some barriers one evening in late June when he asked me to help him with a project in his garden that Friday. Friday, come over at four. Don't be late. I don't want to be fucking with this after dark. I'll buy you dinner afterwards, he offered. Since he purchased the house in 1972, my dad's garden had taken over almost every spare inch. Almost every spare inch. That's a little difficult. Almost every spare inch of our yard, front and back, and he planted not only flowers, but tomatoes, lettuce, even corn. He loved his garden and spent most of his free time taking meticulous care of it. He was also very particular about who touched it. That Friday, he was going to put up some fencing to grow tomatoes, a difficult job for one guy. He normally did the tough jobs on his own anyway. One time, many er years earlier, I tried to help him on a similar project, and while bending the wire fence to wrap it into a cylinder, my hand had slipped and accidentally released the metal, which whipped around and stabbed my dad in the leg. God damn it, fuck, he screamed in pain before turning to me and adding, go away. <laughs> so when my dad asked me to help out on his garden that coming Friday, that request meant a lot to me. He didn't need my help, he wanted it. On Thursday, the night before I was supposed to help him out, I was studying with a girl named Stacy for my communications class. We were taking a summer school course because each of us had dropped a class during the school year. I had been in a few classes with Stacy before and had developed a major crush on her. I had never asked her out or even hinted at my feelings, mostly because she had a boyfriend, but even if she hadn't, I doubt I would have gotten up the courage to make a move. She was blonde, with large breasts, which I had pictured in my head numerous times during a variety of different fantasies I played out while masturbating. See, that was the, that was the one. <laughs> As we sat studying on a futon in her bedroom, she turned to me and said, I've got to tell you something. Peter and I broke up. This was exactly how 96% of all my masturbatory fantasies of her started. I can't study right now. I can't concentrate. I want to do something fun. Do you want to do something fun? She asked. Yes, I said, trying to act cool. Some of my friends and I are going down to Rosarito tonight for the fourth. We rented a hotel room. You should come. She could have said, some of my friends are going to shove bottle rockets in our asses and light them and shoot them at a police station. You should come. And I would have said yes. I told her I needed 15 minutes to pack my stuff and strutted as calmly as I could out of her house. 
and I dashed through the dark to my car where, with beads of sweat forming at my temples, I pressed my foot all the way down on the accelerator. Unfortunately, the top speed of my 1986 Oldsmobile Broham was about 57 miles an hour, so it took me a little longer than I hoped to get home. I nervously tossed a few shirts, a pair of swim trunks, and every single condom I could find, which was about 30, in my backpack. I drove back to Stacy's house, and she, her three best girlfriends, who had arrived, who had arrived in my absence, and I hopped into her friend's Chevy Blazer and took off for Mexico. A small Mexican beach town right next to Tijuana, Rosarito is a lot like the bleachers in Fenway Park during a Yankee Red Sox game. Crowded, dirty, and filled with thousands of loud, drunk Americans who haphazardly throw their garbage on the ground. Yet somehow it's still kind of charming. Rosarito's biggest draws are that the drinking age is 18 and everything is dirt cheap. The five of us spent the ride down on the Pacific Coast Highway drinking Tecates and talking excitedly about how drunk we were going to get as soon as we arrived in Mexico. I'm going to get so fucking wasted, Stacy's friend in the passenger seat said. Justin, are you going to get fucking wasted or are you going to be a fag, she asked, turning to me. I wasn't sure how she decided those were the only two paths to go down this weekend, but I clearly saw the direction she was hoping I would lean toward. I'm going to get fucking wasted, I screamed, trying to match her intensity. Apparently I did, because everyone cheered and then Stacy grabbed my crotch. It was a pretty unsexy move and sort of hurt, but any interaction my crotch had with Stacy's hand was welcome. A couple hours later, we pulled up to our hotel in Rosarito and checked into our dingy room, which contained only one bed, a bathroom, and three different paintings of a large-breasted Mexican woman being carried off by a Spanish conquistador. We immediately started taking shots of tequila from the bottle we had purchased at the hotel's gift shop. I went into the bathroom and put one condom in my sock and one in my baseball hat, just in case Stacy and I didn't make it back to the hotel room. I threw some water on my face, patted my hair into place, which I used to have, and brushed my teeth. When I came out of the bathroom, all three of Stacy's friends were crowded around her, and she was curled up on, in a ball on the floor crying. I miss Peter. I can't believe we're fucking broken up, Stacy sobbed as her friends tried to calm her down. Then Stacy got up, ran past me to the bathroom, and vomited in the toilet. For the next day and a half, Stacy sat in the hotel room with friends, bawling and rehashing every detail of the breakup. A couple of times I went out to a bar by myself, stood around for an hour, talked to no one, then went back to our room, which still reeked of vomit. On Saturday afternoon, we piled into the blazer and drove silently back up the coast of the U.S.-Mexico border. Stacy sat next to me the entire time, sleeping. As we crossed the border, I turned my cell phone back on since I hadn't had reception in Mexico. It began buzzing to indicate that I had new messages. As I punched in my voicemail access code, it dawned on me that I had forgotten to help my dad with the garden. You have four new messages, the robotic voice declared. I was half expecting it to add. You are so fucked. The first message played. Son, it's dad. I need you to pick up something from the Home Depot before you come over. Call me back. Next message, the robotic voice alert, voicemail alerted me as I began to feel nauseous. Son, where the fuck are you? I said to be over at 4, right? It's 4.10. Call me. The next message contained just a few moments of silence and then the sound of hanging up. I felt a little relieved. Maybe he was over it by now. Next message, received today at 3.30 p.m., said the robot. What in the fuck is going on? I stopped by your place and your roommate said you're in Mexico. Are you in fucking Mexico? Call me. I started sweating and couldn't keep my legs still, which was unfortunate seeing as we were just about to drive through the Border Patrol inspection. The officer waved us through even though I'm pretty sure I looked like I was sitting on about 2,000 pounds of cocaine and hiding half a dozen illegal aliens in our trunk. Once we were across the border, Stacy's friend pulled over at the first exit. I'm totally fiending for some Jack in the Box, she said.
No, 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 no. I need to go home right now, I snapped, my voice ascending to a note I hope no woman ever hears out of my mouth again. Whoa, chill out. We're just going to grab some jumbo jacks. God. In my head, I was fantasizing about jumping into the front seat, drop kicking her out of the car, slamming the door, and stepping on the gas. Instead, I just sat in the dining area of the Jack in the Box while four girls leisurely enjoyed their hamburgers. I called Dan to see how much damage was done. Yeah, your dad looked all pissed off, and then I told him you were in Mexico, Dan said. You told him I was in Mexico. Why did you tell him I was in Mexico, I screamed. Because you were in Mexico. <laughs> I hung up the phone. Shortly after, Stacy and her friends moseyed back to the car. We continued our drive up the coast, and upon reaching San Diego, headed to Stacy's apartment where my car was parked. I grabbed my travel bag out of the back of the blazer and briskly walked towards my car. Um, okay, bye, Stacy said snidely. Yeah, 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 bye, sorry, I replied, jumping into my car and slamming the door. I began the drive over to my parents' house, trying to figure out what lie I could tell to defuse the situation. I came to the conclusion that there really was no defusing this because it had too many volatile elements. I blew off my dad. I disappeared and I was unreachable. And the final straw, I had gone to Mexico. My parents had irrational fears of Mexico and assumed that once you crossed the border, drug runners made you swallow a heroin balloon, and then within the hour you were in a bathtub full of ice and they were harvesting your kidneys. As I pulled up to the house, I spotted my dad's car in the driveway. I walked up to the front door and opened it. I saw my dad sitting in the living room, staring right at me as if he had been in that position for the last two days. Where in the fuck have you been, he screamed, getting up from his chair and quickly moving toward me like an overweight panther. <laughs> Listen, hold on, I said. And then I launched into an elaborate lie about a school project and a birthday that made no sense before he cut me off. Mexico? You went to fucking Mexico? They'll gut you like a pig, piss on your corpse, and then say, welcome to Mexico, he screamed. You say you're going to, be f you say you're going to fucking be somewhere. You fucking be there, he added. I know, I know, I hollered back in defense. No, you don't. You don't know shit. Everyone is worried sick about you. I got your mother freaking out, then everybody else. I called the cops to look for you. You called the cops, I said? Yeah, I called the cops. Well, shouldn't you call them and tell them you found me? My dad paused for a split second. They'll figure it out, he said, his tone and his voice changing. I looked at him. He very rarely lied to me. And when he did, it was obvious. You didn't call the cops, did you? I asked suspiciously. I called somebody, he replied. <laughs> was that somebody the cops? Silence fell over the room. No, he said, a little embarrassed. But fuck you. I could have called the cops. I should have called them. But I figured you were just being dopey and I'd have wasted their time. I realized I had somewhat disarmed him and should just cut my losses now and try to make things right, so I apologized profusely, explained that I had gotten caught up and completely forgotten our date, and reaffirmed all the reasons why I was an idiot. Okay, okay, I get it. You don't have to keep listing reasons why you're dumb shit, he said, interrupting my laundry list of self-insults. He motioned me over to him. I cautiously approached it. Then he grabbed me and gave me a big hug. You little shit, he said. I can't wait till you have some kid and you gotta worry about what happens to him. You never stop worrying about your children. It sucks. You watch what you stick your dick into because this is your life. This bullshit right here. <laughs> he released me from the hug and grabbed a plastic grocery bag filled with chips. Grab that bottle of ketchup. We're late for the barbecue your uncle is throwing. I was uh, going to meet Dan at the beach, actually, I said tentatively, hoping he would respect my 4th of July plans. Shut the fuck up and grab the bag. You got some balls. <laughs> so I was going to... if. If uh, you guys want, I was going to read a few of the quotes and then kind of give you the backstory of, of a few of them. If I can get this mic to be. 
here. Yeah, tolerant. Oh, it was that easy. Perfect. So, uh, there we go. Perfect. I read. I read a few of them here that I that have actually. Uh, ah, here's one. So this is my dad on on non-traditional entertainment. There's something to be said for sitting around and drinking a beer while you watch your dog try to fuck a punching bag. <laughs> we, uh, I, I have this, uh, there's a story in the book about uh, I got this dog and I, when I was living up here and it was uh, sort of when I just first moved here and I was really lonely and, and for some reason the answer is always to get a dog that you can't actually uh, either afford or have the room to, to, uh, to house and so I brought him down to uh, uh, my dad's house and he sort of grew up but the dog is like... Uh, it's like a creature from Pandora. <laughs> it's like like it's like an avatar alien. It's it's just gigantic and it and it kind of does whatever it wants. And um, so it just it started humping stuff. And we we you know we went to the vet because it's like you know he's he's 105 pounds. So it's like I think it's like a crime now. Um, and uh, and the vet was like he, he's not it's not a sexual thing for him. He's just trying to establish his dominance. And for some reason, this punching bag my dad has in the backyard, like, it won't go down, so he thinks that it's like he always loses to it. <laughs> so, so sometimes my dad will just grab a beer and sit in the back, backyard and just watch my dog try to screw this, this uh, punching bag for like 20 minutes. And it's just like, he doesn't talk, he's just like tickled watching, watching that. <laughs> Okay, so this is uh, this is on getting dumped by my first girlfriend. So I was, li I was sitting there and, and uh, just way bummed out. I mean, I took it really hard. We were like 19. We'd been dating for like six months probably, but I, I was crushed. I was sure that she she was the one. And uh, he comes up to me and he's like, "Listen, I understand you're upset, but you're both 19. You can't think you're only going to screw each other forever. That's just silly talk." <laughs> And actually, you know what? That made me feel quite a bit better. I was, I was pretty, I was pretty down, and I thought that made me feel a lot better. I'll just read a couple more. Uh, so uh, he, he's like loves fanny packs. Just like as long as I've known him, it's just like an easier way for him to carry everything. And uh, he's got, he's got a, a, a casual one that he wears, <laughs> which is just like you know made of like a like the you know, like a liner material. And then he's got a dress one that he wears to dress events because like he would never want to just put his wallet in his pocket. The dress one's leather and it's got like the zipper has like an embroidery on it. Um, and if he loses it, it's like everything in our house stops because the fanny pack is gone. It's like his life is in there and it doesn't matter. Like I could be, like literally I have, I've been showering and, and I hear somebody like trying to break into the bathroom and it's, it's him d either, is the fanny pack in there or demanding me help him immediately find the fanny pack. Like, so this is uh, after I got uh, uh, rejected by the, the first girl that I asked to prom who is now a lesbian. Um, <laughs> I told him, he says, sorry to hear that. Hey, have you seen my fanny pack? No, I, I care about what you said. I just, I told you I was sorry to hear it. Jesus, I can't be sorry and wonder where my fanny pack is at the same fucking time. 
<laughs> so those are a couple of my, my favorite ones that, that uh, does anybody have any any questions anything sure. given your dad's colorful language what are the challenges in developing a sitcom for broadcast TV <laughs> yeah it's challenging you can't say any of that stuff on CBS um, it was challenging I mean kind of when we were we were my writing partner and I were were because uh, my background was in screenwriting. That's what I was, I was up here doing, and I was working in magazines and and sort of, kind of, trying to do both. Um, and so, when when I when I did the, I did a book proposal for this, and then I started getting incoming calls for like, hey, have you thought about this as a movie? And and so I took a couple meetings, and we had been, my writing partner and I had been developing a different show at, at Comedy Central um, for a while, but as working with Comedy Central, they pay you basically nothing. And um, and so they, they, they came to take the meeting, and, and everybody's pitch for the, like you'd come in, you sit in the meeting, and and then uh, the, the executives would be like, yeah, you know, like I feel like this could be such like a, um, a very dramatic, like, Coming of age story about this this son who you know hates his father. I'm like, whoa! I I do not. I love my dad. And they're like, no, but this movie. And I'm like, well, if it's based off this, then that's not the same thing. And so we were sort of didn't see it as a movie, and that was, and I didn't really want to do it as that. And and then when we we started coming up with it as a as a pitch for a television show, that was the first question. It's like, well. You know, he has such a colorful language, and it's profane, and you can't say it. And and, um, and so we were like, well, if we get the right guy to do it, and we and we if we can maintain like very aggressive honesty uh, of my like, which I think is is what makes my dad sort of enjoyable to me. Is he's just is so blunt. There's no there's no sugarcoating. Um, and we get the right guy to say those words, then it'll work. But we we're like, we need to find the right guy, otherwise. It's just not going to work. It's going to be a bad television show. Uh, and so we were like looking through the CBS, gave us like a big a list of names. You know, like they're like, we'll do this if you get one of these names. And there's a bunch of names on the list. And then at the bottom of the list, I mean, it was a list of people they wanted. So everybody they wanted. But like lower on the list was was William Shatner. And, and, so, and I remember thinking like, every time I see... William Shatner on television, I have no idea what he's going to do. Like, he's, you just don't know what he's going to do. I mean, he could have an appearance where he, you could see him saying, like, you know, fuck shit and walking off stage, or, or he could, you know, just, he, he just is so unpredictable and he'll say things that you have no idea that that was even brewing in his head, you know, and, and that it, it reminds me of that. So I get that nervous energy watching him as I do when, like, I see my dad talking to, like, a waiter at a restaurant. I'm like, this could go really well or really poorly. Either way, it's going to be embarrassing for me. And, um, and so, you know, we, we had written the script, my writing partner and I, and, and we... And the executive producers that we had worked with, they were like, "All right, well, we'll we had worked with them on a project before. Let's let's send it to them." And so we send it to him, and we wait, and uh, and we we call, and they're like, "He's out riding horses indefinitely," which is a weird thing to be doing indefinitely. Like, <laughs> you just who knows when he's coming back? Maybe he doesn't. Um, and so we waited, we waited, we waited, and the, the clock was ticking on when when CBS could say. Uh, 
know, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do it or no, where's where's Shatner? Um, and then he got back to us and he was like, yes, I like it. And that was kind of it. We're like, okay, now now what? And then you know we negotiated with him and then he he signed on to do it. And then when we so when you saw when we saw him read for the first time, you know he really hadn't prepared anything or anything, and it was like I knew when I saw him, I was like, oh god, this is my dad. Like they should never meet. <laughs> um, they did, but uh, so yeah, I think Tan is long, you know, road to answer that question. But but basically, I think getting him and maintaining that kind of like aggressive bluntness is 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 a way that I think it works. Would it be? Uh, a different show on HBO, probably. Did I get a call from HBO? No. <laughs> so, you know, that was kind of the way that it went. Um, about your Twitter account, was there a specific thing that happened that kind of launched it um, into, you know, millions of uh, viewers, or was it more of a gradual thing, and there wasn't like that one specific mention in the media somewhere? that got you in the stratosphere? It was, it took off really quickly. Um, for the first two weeks, there was just nobody following because I, I, I hadn't put it up to promote it or anything. I was sort of, the, the job I was at previous to this, the, it was like this, um, I was writing for this comedy website and I had taken it, I left to take a job at Maxim and when I left, I, I uh, they were not happy that I'd left, and and while I was in the meeting to sort of say, hey, do you guys want to match this offer? They were like, maybe. And then as they're saying maybe, somebody was going into my office and taking my computer and wiping it clean. So I lost all of all of the the stuff I'd been working on. And in an effort to not have that happen, every, I mean, I I had a great experience at Maxim, and everybody was was really great to me. But they were at that other job too until I until I left. So I. I really had put it on there just to do that, just to sort of keep a record of it. And then one day, um, one of my friends runs like a fake Michael Bay web web uh, Twitter page, and and it has a few thousand people. And he he was like, "Hey, do you want do you want to uh, do you want me to tweet it?" And it was like a fall of Friday, and I was like, "Okay, you know, I don't think anybody's gonna think this is funny. I have I, you think it's funny because you know my dad." And uh, he was like, "Nah, I think somebody might think it's funny." And so I he did it, and it got like a couple hundred people. And then Rob Corddry, the comedian from The Daily Show, um, he tweeted it and just said, like, uh, it's like this is the funniest thing, or, or some, something like that, something really complimentary. And he had, like, a million people, and that just, like, poof, like I woke up the next day, and it was, like, 10,000 people from, from 300. It was, like, one of those things where you turn your computer off and then back on to, like, make sure it's not screwed up. Um, I, I was in disbelief that it, that it had been taking off uh, like that. So his thing really kind of, after that people started picking up, but, but Rob was, was the first guy. And I actually was walking around in the Best Buy on, on um, La Brea in Santa Monica, and he, I saw him like walking around. I was like, oh, I should say something. But then I got all nervous, and, and, and my friend that I was with was like, dude, you have, you know, just go. And so I did, and I was kind of spazzy, and and he, uh, but he was a really nice guy, and and uh, it's funny because like, you know, I just want to, you just want to cut to cut to the chase. So I was like, hey, I just, I think I just said, hey, shit, my dad says guy, and like that, like not like I am, I like I cut out all the words to it, and he was like, what? And I was like, no, 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 I, I, I am that guy. So, um, and he was like, oh, so, 
so he, he was a really yeah, genuinely nice dude. What was the meeting like with your dad That's actually one of my favorite stories in, the, in the, this whole process was that because it was really hard to get him to the taping of the pilot. Like he's really, he's like, he's like J.D. Salinger but doesn't write stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not, but uh, he, it was really, it was really difficult to get him to go there and I was like, listen, I would love it if you came. This is a large moment in my life, potentially like the biggest. Um, and he was like, meh. <laughs> uh, he's like, I don't like, I just don't like, I don't want to be around a bunch of people. And I was like, it's not like a mall. It's, it's you know, you just, you go and you sit in a seat and you watch. And, and so I was like in this negotiation trying to get my dad to go to a taping of a show about him. And, uh, and finally he goes, well, can I just come late? and then stand in the back. <laughs> and I was like, it's not a dance recital. You gotta come, and like, you know, like, it's not, it's, I'm not in sixth grade. Like, you gotta come and sit, and then there's, you know, and so he did, and then uh, he actually loved it, because, like, you know, it was it was fun to see everything, and, and, and the, the warm-up comic, like, kept going back to him, you know, because uh, to, to, to sort of entertain the audience, and he would ask my dad, he's like, what do you think about all this stuff? And he'd be like, it's okay. <laughs> and then he was like just one word answers just, um, and then finally afterwards everybody was coming up like it was weird it was, it was like I don't I, I, I don't know if this experience was was for everybody else on set but it was like a bunch of people who were I was terrified of like you know president of CBS television all these like people who I was just like oh god I could be fired at any moment and uh, and they're like can we meet your dad so I said sure and I'm like uh and, and all my dad wanted to do was talk to this kid who was like 19 who was wrangling the cables for all the cameras. Because he was like, that kid wrangles like three cameras at once and it's crazy. And I was like, I think I can get you a meeting with him. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and so I bring him down to this kid, Mike, really nice kid. And I'm like, Mike, this is my dad. My dad wants to talk to you. And he was like, okay. And uh, so my dad's just asking him just like nonstop questions about the cables, like how do you learn to wrangle them, like what kind of cables are they. And meanwhile, the president of the CBS television, Nina Tasser, comes up to me and she's like, hey, can I meet your dad? I'm like, yes. And so I, I turn around and I, I say, you know, Mike, excuse me, can, can I just borrow my dad for a second? And he gives me a look like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, I'm in a conversation, like he's about to lay some cable knowledge on me and you're completely screwed. And so he gives me this dirty look and then he turns around and he goes, hey. And then he turns back around. And she's like, not used to that, and and so then I was like, you have to turn back around, doctor. And so he turns, he turns back around, and he has a nice cordial conversation with the. But but after that, I was like, why don't you have him take a picture with Shatner, which was you know you like again like, Mr. Shatner, really nice guy, unpredictable, don't know what he's gonna do, and so they and also they're both like older guys. Any of you guys who have grandparents, older parents know. Your parents don't want to spend time talking to people they don't know. Like they've had 80 years or 75 years of conversations. Like they don't want to do it. And so I could see that in Chatter's eyes. And it was terrifying. And I could see that in my dad's eyes. And they were like coming like this to, to meet. And I'm supposed to be in the middle of this this picture. And, and already a, I'm a sweaty guy. And, and it was like... 
it was like the fourth quarter of a basketball game for me. I was like dripping sweat and and uh, and so <laughs> Mr. Shatner comes up and he sees me and he goes, "Hello, sir." And my dad goes, "Sir." <laughs> and then they take a picture and they turn and they walk in opposite directions. <laughs> and that was the only time they talked to each other. There was an after party that they were both at. There was no like, hey, I'm playing you, or hey, you're playing me, like weird. None of that, absolutely none. <laughs> and that was it, so, so that, was what, that was what happened. <laughs> All right, so there's, if the, oh. What do you think the, um, the Sunday going to be in the series? Uh, I think we're gonna. There's another funny thing. When, I see, when you sit in these meetings, like when it's like people, when it's about you, right? They're looking. They're they're just blunt because they're just talking about the show and how they want it to season. They're like, if this kid's 29 and he's living at home with his dad, he is just a huge loser. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's a, all right. Well, I don't know how I'm gonna write that guy. Um, and so they're like, he has to be like, he has to be. 26. I, I, my favorite, my very favorite quote from anybody in this entire process has been I was sitting in this meeting and this executive goes, look, it's easy. All we need to do is cast the good looking you. <laughs> and it was like, but you know, like normally somebody else, you could say something like that, like accidentally or whatever. And then you're like, oh, no, 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 not what I meant. Not what I meant. <laughs> no. <laughs> And everybody else was like, yeah, 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 that's right. What, what she said. What she said. <laughs> so so uh, I think the kid's supposed to be right. He's, he's around 26. So. <laughs> yeah, this is, it's a fun, it's, it's, a, it's a fun, it's been a, an amazing process that I am incredibly lucky to have gone through. Um, but it's been enjoyable to see people kind of wrap their heads around the idea. And also, like, the other thing is, is, you know, it's, it's, to do a show or to do a book, it's it's life rights, you know, and it's not you know it's mine, but it's also his, my my dad's, and so there's all these lawyer teams and stuff, and, and Warner Brothers has lawyers and CBS has lawyers, and and they they you know the deal's getting closer to being made for this thing, and and they're like, listen, we need your dad to sign away his life rights, right? I'm like, who's gonna have that conversation with him? Is it me? And they're like, well, we can have it with him. I'm like, no, they'll never happen if you do it. And, uh, and so I, I go to him and I go, listen, like, these people want you to sign, a, sign away your life rights. You do what you want. And he's like, all right, well, what I want is to f tell those people to go fuck themselves. And I go, okay, but can you do a different version of that? <laughs> Just say you don't want to, you don't want to do it. And so he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's that's stupid. So I go back to the lawyers and I'm like. <laughs> It's like this legal team. They're like, hey, yeah, that's not going to happen. He's not going to do that. And they're like, well, then there's, then there's no show. And I go, then there's no show. I, I don't know what to tell you. And they're like, so it's just like all this pressure. And then they go, well, do you think he'd sue you? And I go, no. <laughs> He's like the least litigious person in the world. And, and when all this stuff happened, and I was like, you know, I was like, listen, you can have, I mean, as much of the, any kind of money I make from this, whatever percentage of it you want is yours, 100%, whatever. And he was so pissed off that I asked him that question. Like, it was like, it was as if I had said, hey, you're not getting shit. I'm getting all of this. It was like, that was how he reacted because he was so mad that I would think that he would, like, n need money from me or something like that. And so he was like, he's like, I got my own fucking money. I don't need yours. I'm like, 
<laughs> All right, fair enough. So he, yeah, so what ended up happening was they just didn't. Uh, like he could go make a rival show on ABC if he wants to. See. Like he just never signed anything. So so anyone who tells you you got to sign, there's ways around it. Sure. Did you sign away everything? Are they going to run with it now, or are you overseeing scripts or writing? Or I'm pretty sure Warner Brothers like owns this conversation we're having. <laughs> like I had to basically because he wouldn't. I had to give up like all kinds of of life rights but I'm I'm 29 like that's not a lot of life to, you know to give away but uh to, to do it yeah I mean I have th there's things where it could could revert but yeah I mean basically that was the deal is that I wanted to I I, I was like listen I'm I'm going to write it like it's 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 funny because when I had had literary representation here but when when something like big happens, then it's like you know people smell fresh fresh meat and they come and and so this this woman from this agency she calls me and and uh, she's like hey I love the property it's great uh, it's really funny um, why don't you give it to us and I said well you know like uh, you know maybe we we can we'll work with your agency because I had li I had a literary manager but I didn't have a um, an agent and so I said well maybe we'll work with your agency and I'll write it and she goes no 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 I don't want you to write it I was like well like it's my life I kind of want to write it um, <laughs> you know and and I I actually have a background in this I've been doing it I I can send you samples she's like no listen this will never ever make the air with you writing it and I go this is not a good pitch you're giving me right now to to sign with you guys and so uh, she go, <laughs> she she says uh, she's like you know if you find an agency that's excited to sign you as the writer then go with them but that will 100% be bullshit if they say that <laughs> so I was like okay well I'm gonna at least have someone that has, will lie to me then because I don't want to I don't want to work with you guys, but but that's that's kind of like so I stayed on as as my myself and my writing partner stayed on as the writers, and we 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 knew we couldn't sort of take this thing, you know, through the goal line because we're younger writers. We'd only developed a couple shows that that hadn't really gotten off the ground and sold like little things, and so we asked to meet studios that were interested. We said, let us meet with like showrunners that you guys had you know deals with and. We, we met these two guys who uh, created uh, Will and Grace, and uh, they were fantastic guys and really nice and genuine, and they already had like a gazillion dollars and, and a mega hit, and so it, they just wanted to do something that they thought was fun, that would be a good show to do, where they could like mentor two writers that they liked, and, and so we went with them. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, that's the thing. It's funny too because people are like, "Oh, he's he's keeping him in the closet." Yeah, because my dad won't won't do any press or anything like that. They're like, he's keeping him in the closet, or he doesn't exist or anything. But it's like there's so many times where I get a cool like offer to do a promotion. Like we got asked to go on like the Letterman show, and which is like a dream of you know like Letterman's a genius, and I would love to go on the show. And and then I come to my dad, and he's like, "No," <laughs> so he won't do anything like there was like a, a, a 
I got an email just from a woman who, because he, he spent his career in nuclear medicine, which is like cancer research and radiology and stuff. And there was a woman who just wanted to interview him about radiology. She just didn't know how to get a hold of him and had been trying to get a hold of him like long before any of this was popular or anything. And so she, she went through, she had found my email and she went through me. And he was like, she made the wrong move. <laughs> <laughs> So he won't even t he won't talk to anybody. One time, uh, um, a reporter from Channel Eight, like in San Diego, KFMB TV in San Diego, just like thought when it first started, he's like, "I'll just show up at the door with a camera crew, uh, like not telling anybody." And he was like the wacky guy who does the personal interest stories. And so he he I wasn't even there, and and. Uh, so my mom says that the guy shows up at the door with the key, with like my, like the knock on the door, and uh, my dad opens it. There's a, like a camera crew, a guy with a mic, and he's like, "Do you know your son's been writing stuff about you?" Like sticks the mic in his face, and my dad's like, Poof. knocks the mic away. He's like, "Of course I know, I'm not stupid." And the guy's like, "Well, what do you have to say about it?" And he goes, "Leave my property," and then, and then he closes the door. And then that ran on the local news that night, which was super weird, but that's like the only video confirmation that, that he exists, so. Well, uh, unless there's any other questions, thank you guys for, for coming. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Now, don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Ashling and Arlo. You can check them out on MySpace, Facebook, or at the iTunes Music Store. And thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon. <laughs>